please to 1 Samuel chapter number 9, 1 Samuel chapter number 9, and I know we have several guests with us today. Uh, we're used to getting out at 3 o'clock uh, around here, but we're going to shorten it to 2.30 just for you. And uh, now I want to jump right into the message. It's 10 minutes till noon, and we're going to finish up at 12.30, but I want you to stay with me. I want you to listen carefully. I'm going to use the lapel mic, fellas. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you maybe to slide over and uh, look along with someone, or if you have an extra Bible on your row, maybe share it with somebody who doesn't have one, and uh, you'll want to underline a couple of things as we go along. For sake of time, I'm going to ask you just to follow along with me, if you would, please. And First uh, Samuel chapter number 9, First Samuel 9, can you hear me all right? This mic is a little different. All right, maybe just brighten it up a little bit if you can, Brother Jerry. First Samuel chapter number 9, let me pray, and we're going to jump right into the message. I want to speak to you on this subject this morning. God is working out His purpose. God is working out His purpose. Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, speak to the hearts of Thy people this morning. And I pray that the lessons we learned this morning will help to guide our lives, but also to help keep us on track. And for those, Lord, who have never considered uh, that their life has a purpose beyond just finding something to eat and a place to live uh, and just living life, but to see, Lord, uh, uh, that they've never maybe grasped that their life has something far beyond an eternal purpose, I pray that uh, it would be clear today in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible said, now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bechorath, uh, the son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. So this man, Kish, uh, uh, was a, a man of means and a man of influence. He was a mighty man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul. You're familiar with that name. Saul will become in the pages that follow the first king of Israel. Saul was a choice young man. If you needed something done or you were going to pick a ball team or you needed a work crew, you'd always choose Saul. Saul was that kind of a young man. And a goodly means he was good looking. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward he was higher than any of the people. Any, any place you went where Saul was, he was always the biggest guy in the room, the tallest guy in the room. And so uh, Saul, uh, uh, a natural choice, uh, uh, was a well-built, good-looking young man from a notable, influential, well-to-do family. If you're going to pick a king, he seemed like the kind of man that you might want to pick. The Bible says in verse 3, in the ashes of Kish, Saul's father were lost. So Saul's dad had uh, had animals, of course, and uh, the donkeys got lost. They wandered off, I'm sure grazing or whatever, and they got lost. And Kish said to his son, uh, Saul, his son, take now one of the servants with thee and arise, go to seek the asses. And he passed through Mount Ephraim and passed through, through the land of Shalisha, but they found them not. Then they passed through the land of Shalem and there they were not. And he passed through the land of Benjamites, but they found them not. And when they were come to the land of Zuth, they've gone quite a ways now, Saul said to his servant that was with him, Come and let us return, lest my father leave caring for the asses and take thought for us. Dad's going to be 
worried. He's not going to be worried about his donkey. He's going to be worried about us. Something has happened to us, maybe. Verse 6, And he said unto him, This is the servant now, Behold now, there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he saith cometh surely to pass. Now, let us go thither, peradventure he can show us our way that we should go. Then said Saul, this notable, choice, good-looking young man from a well-to-do influential family. Then said Saul to his servant, But behold, if we go, what shall we bring the man? Now this is the young man of means, right? And he says to his servant, he says, Well, you know, if we go, what do we, we can't just go empty-handed. You know, we need show respect to the man of God and, and uh, bring him, a, uh, you know, something of value, maybe a cheesecake or something like that. That's in the Hebrew there somewhere. Uh, anyway, but we need to bring a gift. And what shall we bring the man? For the bread is spent in our vessels, and there's not a present to bring to the man of God. What have we? And the servant answered Saul again and said, Behold, I have here at the hand, at hand the fourth part of a shekel of silver. I got a little money. That will I give to the man of God to tell us our way. Now, I won't read all the verses in between, but Saul is convinced by his servant, and it's good advice, to stop and see the man of God. He's well known. His name is Samuel, and uh, Samuel lives in this area. We ought to go see Samuel before we leave town, and maybe he could help us and give us some insight. Now drop down, if you would, to verse number 14. And they went up into the city, and when they were come into the city, behold, Samuel came out against them for to go up to the high place. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before... Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, and thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry is come unto me. Now in the previous chapter, we won't take time to look at it. In the previous chapter, God had acquiesced to the desire of the nation of Israel to the people. It wasn't God's original plan, but God didn't give up on His people because they wanted to desert His plan. They said, we want a king. We want to be like the nations around us. We get oppressed. We need an organized army. We need a king, and so forth like that. And Samuel, who was the leader of the nation, felt personally rejected. God said, Samuel, don't take it personally. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And uh, there's a good lesson in there about authority. And uh, anyway, but uh, uh, don't take it personally. They're rejecting me, he said. And so then God is now preparing a young man by the name of Saul to take this new position. No one's ever held it in the nation of Israel to be the king of the nation. He comes to Samuel a day before Saul shows up at his house to say, uh, can you help us? We're, we lost our donkeys and, and we've been gone a long time and dad's worried about us. Uh, can you help us? Can you pray or something? Or do you have some insight? A day before they show up to ask those questions, Saul, excuse me, Samuel receives a message from the Lord. Look at it again, verse 16. God says to Samuel, his man of God, his prophet, tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin and thou shalt anoint him 
to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hands of the Philistines. Verse 17. For when Samuel saw, saw, the Lord said unto him, Behold the man whom I spake to thee of. So here's Samuel, excuse me, Saul and his servant. They're approaching Samuel. And God says, Samuel, that's the guy I was telling you about. There he is. That's him. The one I want you to anoint. Then, uh, 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 behold, the man whom I spake to thee of this same shall reign over my people. Verse 18. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house. Stand up, we'll let you be uh, uh, Samuel, and I'll be King Saul. Uh, the seer was another name for prophet or the man of God. And so here's Saul and his servant, and they're coming into town, and they walk up to, unbeknownst to them, they walk up to Samuel, and they said, Sir, could you, could you tell us uh, where the prophet lived, where, where the seer lives? We've come to see him. And look at the verse here. Uh, verse 18, Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house is. And Samuel answered said, Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me unto the high place, for ye shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let thee go, and will tell thee all that is in thine heart. So here he walks up. What he th- to him is a total stranger. He's never met Samuel before. He said, sir, can you tell me where the seer lives, where the prophet lives? And the prophet Samuel says, I'm the prophet. I'm going to the high place to worship. You're coming with me. When we finish, we're going, we're going to an important meal. There will be 30 guests there at this banquet, so to speak. You're coming to a meal. I have some things to tell you. Before you leave to go back home, I'll share my heart with you. Thank you, Sam. You may be seated. Pretty amazing. Now, here's the point I want to make. Saul thought it was his idea, his servant's idea. And he thought, well, we came up with this. This is a good plan. We'll go meet the man of God. Of course, he knew uh, uh, about Samuel, I'm sure. But he'd never met him. He didn't know. He couldn't recognize him. And uh, he comes up to him and says, Sir, do you happen to know where the prophet lives? I'd like to talk to the prophet, talk to the seer. And the seer says, I'm Samuel. I'm going to sacrifice. You're coming with me. When we finish, we're going to eat together. And I got some things to tell you. Now, imagine how Saul must have felt. Wow, it's kind of like this guy was expecting me. And he was, right? God had showed him this. Can I tell you something, my dear friend? Uh, I almost named, I almost titled this sermon, God is always up to something. <laughs> that would work too. God is always working behind the scenes. Amen? He's working behind the scenes. I think about that time in the New Testament where in Mark chapter number 14, um, uh, God had told his disciples, he said, won't you go into town? And he said, you're going to find a man uh, carrying a pitcher on his head. And he said, I want you to follow him to the house. And when he gets there, uh, I want you to go inside. And uh, that's where we're going to have a meal together this evening. And so the other two disciples walk into town. Sure enough, there's a guy walking through town. There's a picture on his head. They get behind him and follow him. I always wonder what that man thought when these two disciples started following him. He said, man, I'm being stalked or something. You know, what in the world? He gets to his house, opens the door, and they come walking in behind him. <laughs> I'm sure the man said, what, what are you doing? What do you, need? you guys need something? He said, yes, the master sent us. We're supposed to eat 
here, the Passover meal here today at your house. He said, well, why didn't you say so? I got a room already. He had a room already prepared and everything set, ready to go. God's always working behind the scene. I think about when, when the, uh, a colt was needed uh, uh, to, to, uh, for the Lord to ride upon. And he told his disciples, go into town, you're going to find a little animal tied up. He said, get it, bring it back. And they said, well, what if the guy that owns it asked them, where are you going with my colt? He said, just tell them the master needs it. So they go into town, they see a colt tied up, they start untying it. The guy walks up, what are you doing? They said, well, the master needs it. He said, oh, okay, that's fine. God's always working behind the scenes. Amen? And God's preparing. And Saul finds out something. Saul finds out that this incident is not coincidental. He finds out that what, uh, what, uh, uh, that God is up to something, if you will. God is working behind the scenes. God is preparing, uh, uh, for something in Saul's life. I want to make some statements here. Or lessons, if you will. Number one. God uses loss to reveal His greater purpose for our lives. God uses loss to reveal His greater purpose for our lives. You know, it makes me think that God sent an angel to spook those donkeys to cause them to run off in the wilderness and get lost. He said, why? Because that's what God used to get Saul and his servant all that way, travel all that way till they finally got to, 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 to Zuf, S-U-P-H, Zuf, Zuf. I don't know how to pronounce it, but anyway, that's, and got them all the way there. No other reason they would have gone, no other business that they had there. But they get all the way over there and they think they're looking for donkeys, but God is looking for him. Amen? God is looking for him. There's a lesson here for all of us. Um, Dr. Benny Beckham has been a great friend to this church, to many churches like ours, and been a blessing to our ministry. And uh, he uh, has been here, I don't know, probably seven or eight times over the years and conducted prayer revivals for us and several days of revival and calling God's people back to prayer. Uh, Brother Beckham was a successful pastor, liked by Independent Baptist Church, a fundamental church, a soul winning separated church, and very active church. He was a personal soul winner, built a church of hundreds, a, 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 a good sized ministry, and worked, worked, worked for the Lord, uh, consecrated, studied hard, it's several degrees, and uh, in, 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 her, in her 40s, his wife Diane died. And it turned his world upside down. God was using him already. But in that loss, God did a work in Brother Beckham's heart that he had never done in his life before. And from that time of intense sorrow and grief rose a man with power from God like he had never had before. A man who became in his life, a man of prayer like he never had before. He prayed before, but God brought forth a man of prayer. I remember meeting Brother Beckham for the first time, and I hope you won't be offended by this. Pastors get a lot of phone calls, missionaries, evangelists, and so forth like that. You wish you could help everybody, but you can't. And um, it's not unusual to evangelists to call, say, hey, I'm, you know, whatever. And most of the time they need a meeting or something like that. I don't, I'm not disparaging an evangelist, but that's just part of what a pastor does. 
And so I got a call or two. This man, Evangelist Benny Beckham wants to meet you. I thought, well, he wants a meeting, you know. I didn't know who he was. And, uh, and, uh, and by the way, I've said this publicly to him many times. So, uh, uh, But I didn't know who he was. And so I thought, one day I was in my office and Secretary Buzz, she says, a man here that wants to, wants to see you, wants to take you to lunch. And uh, his name's Benny Beckham. And I thought, that's that guy that's called me several times. And I said, you know what? I thought to myself, I said, I'm going to go have lunch with him, and then I'll be done. I won't have to mess with him anymore. That's not spiritual, but that's what I felt. So I walked out, greeted him, put my preacher smile on. God bless you. Good to see you. Let's go have lunch. We sat down to lunch, and within 15 minutes of sitting down to lunch, I confessed to Brother Beckham. I said, Brother Beckham, I came to lunch to get rid of you. I said, but instead I feel compelled. Is there any way you could come and preach to our people? Now, I don't know how to explain this to you. Maybe you've experienced it. But I knew after 15 minutes that I was in the presence of somebody who walked with God. Whose life had been transformed by loss. And he discovered what I believe is indeed a greater purpose for his life that God had for him. You know, when I was uh, graduating from high school, I, my dad sitting there on the front row, I had some money saved up to pay for a semester of Bible college and a little bit more, and I was ready to go off to train for ministry, and I had surrendered to do that. And I had I kept up about 25 or 30 yards and had a little, little, little more business I had. And, uh, and I was driving to, uh, to one of those yards <clears throat> on Springs Road, and I drove by a parking lot, and there was a black Toyota Celica Super with aluminum wheels, leather interior, sunroof, very nice stereo system. And it, I drove by, and it winked at me. And I thought, my goodness, that was a little forward. So I went and mowed that yard, and I came back by, and it winked at me again going by. And I started courting that little car, and, and we sort of fell in love. And... uh so I went to tell Dad about my new love, that black Toyota Celica Supra. Uh, and uh, and uh, I said, Dad, this car, I told him how much it was. I didn't have quite enough, almost enough, not quite enough saved up to pay for it. I'd have to borrow a little money, too, to go with it. I said, Dad, you know, I'm going to need a car when I go to college because my plan was to work my way through school. And uh, I'm going to need a car to go back and forth to work and everything. And I think this would be the perfect car and everything. He said, Sunday, you save that money for college? I said, yes, sir, but, but he didn't hear me. I said, uh, I, I'm going to need a car, you know. I explained myself. And, uh, and uh, he said, well, you know, you, you save that money to go pay your school bill. He said, if you buy a car with it, how are you going to pay your school bill? I said, well, I'm going to work. I'm going to use the car to work. I'll make more money. I had it all worked out. It was per- I had it all worked out on paper. The numbers and everything all added up. Perfect on paper. I said, but Dad, I don't have quite enough money. I need to borrow some money, and they won't. I, I, I just need to co-sign it. It's not a big amount. They've just co-signed that little amount, little amount for me. And do you know what he did? He turned me down. So guess what I did? I figured out another way to get it. And sure enough, I did. Against now, he didn't tell me. He t- he didn't tell me not to do it. He said, "Son, it's your money." You made it. You could decide what you want to do about it. He said, but I'm not going to co-sign because I don't think it's a good idea. 
Now, that should have been enough for me to stop dead in my tracks and say, all right, this is not smart. But, you know, it's amazing to me. You know, when I, when I was 18, my parents, you know, they, they had a few brains, but they weren't that smart about a lot of things. When I got about 1920, they were getting smarter. When I got married, they were brilliant. When I, got, when I had kids, I had no idea my parents were geniuses. But anyway, it's amazing how they got smarter. But anyway, and, uh, but, 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 but you know what? Um, I, 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 I had, had it all worked out, and uh, I was doing fine, you know. I had enough money to get started, make my first payment and all, and I'd go to work right away. Took off, and... Uh, to go to Bible college, got two hours down the road and the car broke down. I registered two days late because I had to get the car fixed. I got up there and within a month it broke down again. First semester broke down three or four times. Then I couldn't pay for the repairs and then I couldn't pay the insurance on it so I had to park it. And, it, it, and, then, and then the tire went flat in the parking lot. It is hard to look cool in any car with a flat tire. Especially when it won't run. I mean, if it won't run, at least you could just sit in it, you know, and let your let your classmates drive by and look at you sitting in it and think, oh, he's got a cool car. They don't have to know it doesn't run, right? When it's got a flat tire, you can't even look cool sitting in the parking lot. And God beat me over the head with that car for the next 12 months. Let me tell you what it did for me. It drove me to my knees. It drove me to my knees. I didn't have money, I didn't have money to pay my bill. Now, my, I got six brothers and sisters. And let me say this. One of the best things my father ever did for me was put his hand on my shoulder at 18 and say, Now, son, you have brothers and sisters and you're going to college. And pat me on the back and said, You'll be paying your own way. Now, I don't know if anybody believes that anymore. That's one of the best things that ever happened to me. And you know what? I paid my own way. I paid my own way. Guess what I had to do? I had to learn how to pray. <laughs> I had to learn how to pray. I, I, I can't tell you. That first year, I was I withdrawn financially. They wouldn't let me go to class. I come that close to over absences because you had to pay your bill in order to go to class. It's so many days, you know, pay your bill to go to class. I'd be on my face out in the woods saying, God, I'm stupid. I should have listened to my dad. I didn't take his advice. And I know I'm getting chastised. God, give, give me another chance, please. I just want to do right. I want to serve you. And you know what? God was gracious. Amen. And stuff would come unexpected ways and different things. And God took care of me. Can I tell you something? I don't know what your loss was. But it never dawned on you that maybe God allowed you to suffer that loss. Because he wants you to see that you have a greater, he has a greater purpose for your life. You know, it's amazing how, how the storm in the Bible recorded in the New Testament storm came. And, 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 the, and the, the disciples were afraid to lose their lives. And you know what? They started throwing everything off the ship. They threw their tackling off the ship. They threw their personal belongings off the ship. They, 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 they threw food stuff, everything. It's amazing when you are facing loss how, how, how all those other things in our life don't seem so important anymore. And God, in Saul's life, used loss to say to Saul, Hey, listen. I'm trying to get your attention. There's a greater purpose for your life than just being a tall, good-looking, outstanding, exemplary young man. There's something even bigger than that for your life, Saul. Would you look with me if you would? And verse number 5 again. 
The Bible said, and when they were come to the land of Zeph, Saul said to his servant that was with him, come and let us return and lest my father leave caring for the asses and take thought for us. And he, the servant, said unto him, Behold now, there is in this city a man of God, and he's an honorable man. All that he said comes come surely to pass. Now let us go through the provincial. He can show us our way that we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, Behold, we, if we go, what shall we bring the man? The red has spent in our vessel. There's not a prison to bring the man of God. What have we? And the servant answered Saul again and said, Behold, I have here at the hand the fourth part of a shekel of silver. That, that will I give to the man of God to tell us our way. Here's a second thought for you. Here's a lesson for us. Number one, God uses loss to reveal His purpose in our lives. Number two, God prepares people who know Him and walk with Him to guide us in that purpose. God prepares people who know Him and walk with Him to guide Him in that purpose. In this case, it was a servant and the man of God. Saul's trying to talk his servant out of it. He said, man, we, can, we, we got to get back home. Dad would be worried about us. And Saul was about to miss the purpose of his loss. And his servant said, look, we really ought to go talk to the man of God. He doesn't live far from here. He said, we can't do that. He said, uh, we don't have anything to bring him. He said, look, i got a little money. Now, Saul was a man that's well to do. <laughs> and, but the servant is the one who said, look, i got a little money. Let's go. He got there and God had already prepared the heart of Samuel and given Samuel direction for Saul's life. You know, I wish, in hindsight, I know God used it, but it would have been a lot smarter for me when my dad said to me, son, that's probably not a good idea. I should have listened to him. Now think for just a moment. If Saul had not listened to his servant, where would Saul have been? If Saul had said, I don't care, a little money, he deserves more than that. We're not, I'm, that'd be embarrassing. We're not going over there. Let's go on back home. Young people, all of us, remember how God puts people in our lives to guide us in His purpose. This conference you ladies are getting ready to have. I remember sitting down with uh, uh, Miss Loretta Walker, Mrs. Shook, and I. And uh, Brother Mrs. Walker, and Miss Loretta Walker, and Brother Kevin Walker. And Miss Loretta said, well, I have something to share with you. And she began to talk to Mrs. Shook. And we talked together, the four of us. She said, I believe in my soul. God wants you. We had gone to the latest conference for years. And uh, anyway, and uh, uh, we, uh, we felt uh, compelled to do something a little different. And Mr. Walker said, said Mrs. Shook, I believe God wants you to do that. And she said, what? She said, yeah, I believe God wants you to do that. And, you know, from that conversation, we pray, prayed together and thought about it. And there's no doubt in my mind now, looking back over the last six, seven years, absolutely that was the hand of God Almighty. You know, God puts people in your lives to guide you. I remember Carl Hatch. I was, we were in, remember the Bamboo Garden? Oh, I remember the Bamboo Garden. How many of you missed the Bamboo Garden? Sorry. Remember the Bamboo Garden down on 64? We were in the parking lot of the Bamboo Garden. Dr. Carl Hatch, his portrait hangs in the, in the, in the hallway out here. Dr. Carl Hatch had, uh, was uh, an evangelist. And uh, he got saved. When he got saved, he couldn't read or write. And uh, uh, he, he was uh, 16 years old, was a drunkard on the streets of Detroit, Michigan, at 16 years of age. Was a, was a, was a drunkard, an alcoholic. And, uh, and, uh, but anyway, he got saved as a young married man. God saved his soul and radically transformed his life. He couldn't read and uh, couldn't read and write. 
and, and he taught Sunday school, took a handful of, of young people uh, 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 in a Sunday school class, built it to 150. His wife would read him the Sunday school lesson and read the scriptures to him. And he learned the scriptures and he'd get up without notes and he'd teach the lesson and built an incredible youth, youth department. And, uh, but Carl Hatch preached for years, decades and decades, and became a, a great, a great soul winner. I remember one time when he's preaching here, I, I remember him saying, he, uh, uh, he said, you know, there are 40 men today standing in pulpits across this nation, 40 men that I personally won to Jesus Christ. They were lost on their way to hell. I won them to Christ, and they're standing in pulpits for, uh, across America. He, God used him. He's a phenomenal soul winner. Now listen carefully. We're standing in the parking lot of the Olive Garden restaurant. It's probably 15 years ago, maybe a little more. And Carl Hatch uh, was, uh, his briefcase, his briefcase there, and he had a, he was going through it looking for something, and he had eight and a half by 11 staple sheets of, uh, sheets of paper stapled together. I don't know, four or five of them. And, uh, and it, it was a list. It was like a mailing list. And it was just a list, three or four columns on each page, of, of churches, pastors' names, churches, and so forth like that. And I, I, I saw that list. I said, Dr. Hatch, I said, is that the churches that you preach at? He said, yeah, this is my mailing list. This is the churches I preach at. I said, boy, that's a lot of churches. He said, oh, no, it's not. He said, this is probably four or 500 churches. He said, it used to be in the thousands. I said, really? He said, yep. I said, well, what... Wh- why is that? He said, because either number one, they won't have me back, or number two, I won't go back. I said, why is that? Listen to me carefully. He said, because they've changed. And he looked at me, that old man of God looked at me, and he said to me, he said three things. Number one, the music changed. Number two, the standards changed. And then number three, the soul winning changed. He said, in that order, and he said, the same story could be told about those hundreds and hundreds of churches. And I have never forgotten that. Dr. Tom Williams, in different words, told me almost identically the same thing several years later. That man of God uh, is at, at 86 or 7 will be with us in the fall. I revere those men of God who stayed faithful to the truth of God. And listen, uh, I'd I, I be switched if I ever get to the place where I feel like I'm smarter than those men who stayed faithful to this book right here and smarter than my dad that's preached almost 60 years and smarter than these men who stayed true and pick up some newfangled book with some newfangled version of the Bible and get some newfangled idea. Listen to me. I want to be open to the guides, the guides of my youth. I want them to guide me all the way through. Too many people are, 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 are indicated, uh, are implicated in Proverbs 2, 16 and 17 when it talks about the young woman who forsook uh, the guide of her youth. Young people, listen to me. Listen to me. Don't you get smarter than mom and dad as you get older. Don't you get smarter than grandma and grandpa. Don't you get smarter than the generation before us that has some work ethic and has some morals and has some decency and stayed married and kept their jobs and didn't hang around, and didn't ruin their lives on dope and alcohol. Don't you forget the guides of your youth. Saul was so fortunate. 
And they have an old man of God who took him under his wing. Thank God for a faithful servant who said, don't you think you ought to talk to the man of God before you quit and go home? Tonight, Mr. Cook will be sitting up here. His mom's back here. Our principal, one of the finest men in this church. He was a young man. He surrendered his life to serve the Lord. He came home after his freshman year of Bible college. And uh, he's always been tenderhearted. There's something, even as a young man, he's always been very tenderhearted. And you just knew, you just knew something was special about him. You felt that. And, and we, he, he's our, he, he is our, our, our uh, peer, our equal in ministry. But he treats both of us with the greatest respect. But I remember he came home after his first year of Bible college. He came in my office, quivering lip. Started talking about all the hardships and the complications and financial hardships and this and that. I'm thinking he's working up to something. Finally, come out with this preacher. He said, "I just feel like maybe I, I don't need to go back." And I said, "Now, now, listen." I said, "Sean, listen to me. God called you, right?" "Yes, sir. God called me." I said, "Well, then you need to go back. You need to finish what God called you." "No, oh, but pastor, this and that." This and that, and, and I, and I just, I just don't think it's best, and this and that. I said, now, now, come on now. I said, you know, you think about this. I remember the camp you made that decision. Remember this, and God did this in your heart. Yeah, I know. And that was, I said, was that real? Yeah, that was real. All right, God. And and we come back, and I said, well, that took care of it. And then come back a third time. I just don't think a third time. I found, I said, okay, why don't you just quit then? I said, maybe God made a mistake calling you. If you're a quitter, you don't need to go back anyway. He said. I'll go back. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You, listen, you ought to revere a mom and dad who will tell you the truth. And you ought to revere a grandma and grandpa who says, uh, you know, you probably ought not wear that. You probably ought not watch that. You probably ought not play that game. You probably ought not talk like that. You probably ought not say, hey, you ought to thank God for people who love you and care about you enough to guide you in what's right. God had plans for Saul. Saul, though he was a natural choice just by his physical appearance and his family setting, you think, that guy could really do something. Let me tell you something. You and I will never, ever come to the place where we don't need biblical guidance, where we don't need the guidance of older Christians and older believers who, 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 who stood the test of time, where, where our marriages don't need to be mentored by those who stayed married 10 and 20 and 25 and 30 and 35 and 40 and 50 and 55 and 60 years. Oh, listen, hail, hail for the guides. Hail, hail for the ones that God puts in our lives who speak the truth into our lives and tell us what's right without apology. Oh, listen, grandchildren, uh, uh, take time to sit down, talk to grandma, talk to papa, uh, uh, listen to their words, listen to the way they live their lives, listen to their stories, and learn and glean from it. Don't forsake the guides of your youth. 
God's working in your life. He has a greater purpose for your life. In loss, He arrests our attention to help us see how much we need Him. Through the guides of our youth, He counsels us and advises us to help us see our purpose. Go to verse 22 very quickly. They had a meal together. Samuel's invited to be the guest of honor. And Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the parlor and made them sit in the chiefest place among them that were bidden, which were about 30 persons. And Samuel said unto the cook, Bring the portion which I gave thee, of which I said to thee, set it by. They had a special piece of meat already set for them. And the cook took up the shoulder and that which was upon it and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Behold that which is left or reserved, kept for you. Set it before thee and eat. For unto this time hath it been kept for thee. Here a meal and a portion of the best meat are already prepared for Saul upon his arrival. Here's a lesson, church family, listen to it. God is making provision for you to fulfill his purpose even before you know what it is. God is making provision for you to fulfill his purpose even before you know what it is. You know, if you tell the story of the history of America, you've got to tell about 1620. You've got to tell about a boat named the Mayfire. And you've got to tell about how it was blown off course some four or 500 miles instead of making it to Virginia, went to Cape Cod. In the bitterest of winter, half of those pilgrims died. But into that settlement came a man named Samoset who spoke perfect English, followed by a young woman named Squanto. Because of those Indians, they learned to plant. They learned to harvest animals and trap animals, which was cause for their survival. Almost like God had a hand in it all. Amen. And he did. Exodus 23 tells how God made a way and prepared for the nation of Israel sent manna, sent water, even sent hornets. I don't like hornets. How many say, I don't like hornets? Can I get a witness there? I don't like hornets. God sent hornets to the land to drive out the people before they even got there. And I say this, my dear friend, God will make provision for you to fulfill His purpose. God will reveal His purpose, guide you in that purpose, provide for that purpose. He will confirm that purpose. When you get over chapter 10, I won't take time. Three different stories in chapter 10. When Samuel says goodbye to Saul, he says, Saul, on your way home, there are going to be two men to meet you. And they are uh, uh, going to let you know your dad's donkeys have been found. Then you're going to meet three men carrying three loaves of bread and three goats. He said they're going to give you two of the loaves of bread. Then you're going to meet a company of prophets even name the instruments they'd be playing. And they're going to prophesy, and you're going to prophesy. And on the way home, every single one of those things happen. God will confirm His purpose for your life over and over and over again as you walk with Him. Every Listen, it, it won't be every week, but it'll average to at least once a week, at least on average once a week, Someone, this week it's been more than once. Someone will say to me, Pastor, I cannot believe. When you sent me that text message, I was in the middle of this and I couldn't believe that you sent... That happened yesterday. 
I can't believe you sent what you sent right at that moment. Pastor, when you called, when I got home and saw that note, when you came to see me and you, when you knocked on my door, when you made that con- I cannot tell you how I many... Over and over and over and over again, God will confirm His purpose in your life. It happened yesterday as we knelt. Opposition confirms His purpose. We knelt yesterday with two grandparents and a seven-year-old granddaughter. Grandpa's here. Grandma's there kneeling. Granddaughter's here. Pastor's here around the ottoman in the, in the living room. And we bowed our head to pray. And the little girl said, Dear Jesus... And the animals in the house went berserk. Now, can I tell you something? If I've seen that once, I've seen that a hundred times. That's not coincidental. Thank God somebody had the wisdom to get the animals out of the house. And the little girl got saved. Amen! Amen. Lastly, look at chapter 10, verse 20. Six. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. Last lesson. God will send help when you're surrendered to his purpose. God will reveal his purpose through laws. He will guide you in his purpose through wise people. He will provide for His purpose to be fulfilled. God always provides where He leads. God will confirm His purpose as you live for Him. And I'll send you people to help as you fulfill His purpose. Will you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed.